Uh, and the second reading is from Hebrews chapter 13, reading at verse 20 on page 1212 in the Bibles, other media are available. Now, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for in fact I've written to you quite briefly, I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I'll come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and all the Lord's people. Those from Italy send their greetings. Grace be with you all. Thank you, John. Hello, everyone. As uh, Jane and Simon mentioned, uh, this is uh, the last uh, time I'll get a chance uh, to uh, share with you in the Lord's Word. Um, Why don't we pray as we come to reflect on this part of the end uh, of the book of Hebrews. Let's pray. Loving Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that by your word we are given life, that we are shaped and grow to be more like your son, and that we find hope. We pray, Father, that you will be at work in our hearts tonight, that we would respond to your word with faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, as, as we mentioned, um, in about a week's time, uh, myself and my family will be flying off to Australia. Uh, we've been here for three years, uh, and it's been such a joy, such a joy uh, to be part of this wonderful church family. I'm, I'm not just saying that, it really has been, and we really uh, have enjoyed uh, the love and the care and the encouragement uh, that we've received from all of you. I think, I really think one of the most amazing things about being a Christian is that you can go to the other side of the world and there is family right there to welcome you. Isn't that incredible? Uh, We've been very cared for, and I am so thankful for all the ways uh, that you've helped us uh, for your prayers, meals dropped around to our house, uh, and of course the encouragement just to keep on going in our walk with Jesus. So I was really happy uh, that Simon has given me this passage uh, to preach as uh, my final sermon, because this passage is a prayer. Uh, It's a wonderful prayer, and I can't think of anything more fitting than to preach on this prayer to encourage you and to encourage me to pray this prayer. Really, that's what I want us to get out of this passage uh, tonight. If we leave eager to pray this prayer more and more, I think that will be a good thing. I'd love for you to be praying this for us as we head back to Australia, and I certainly will be trying to pray this prayer for all of you uh, as we keep you in our hearts, even though we are far away. So let's have a look at this prayer and see what motivation we have, what encouragement we might have to pray this prayer. There are really two parts to this prayer. The first 
part is about what God has done for us. And the second part is about what God is doing for us now. Okay, What God has done for us, what God is doing for us. First of all, what has God done for us? And the writer, he begins this prayer by really reminding us that God has saved us. He saved you. He's rescued you from death. He's forgiven your sins and he's brought you to life into this new family of God. And I think what's really on view here, what's really emphasized in this prayer is the permanence of your salvation. It is forever. It is for good. It is for sure. It is permanent. The first thing that we say in this prayer is who God is. Who is he? He is the God of peace. Because it is in God's nature, in God's very nature, to bring peace. To bring peace to this world, to bring peace to our lives, to bring peace between us and him. This is what God longs for. This is what God wants. He genuinely wants us to be at peace with him and for everything to be at peace. This is not just peace from wars. This is not just peace from kids running around screaming. This is not just about peace from the stresses of life. It is the ultimate peace that only God can bring because it is in his very nature He is the God of peace. And so we can rely on him to be the one to bring us into this peace. This is who he is. But how has God brought us this peace? Have a look there, verse 20. It is through the blood of the eternal covenant. It's It's an interesting phrase there, the blood of the eternal covenant. It doesn't pop up very often in the Bible. But all throughout the book of Hebrews, if you read through this book, and I do encourage you, now we've got to the end, go back to the start and read through it again. Fantastic thing to do. The best book to read after you finish a book in the Bible is the same book. It's a fantastic way to read the Bible. So go back to the start and read it again. Because all throughout Hebrews, the writer makes a really big deal about Jesus' blood. A really big deal about Jesus' blood. He talks about it again and again. And the reason is, is because it is by Jesus' blood that we are saved. We often will say, Jesus saved, or Jesus died for me. But the writer of the Hebrews is particularly concerned with Jesus' blood. Now, why is that? What is so special in particular about his blood? And to understand this, which the book of Hebrews helps us to understand, you have to go back to the Old Testament. When the priests of Israel wanted to seek forgiveness for God's people, they needed to go into the Holy of Holies or go into the temple to ask for forgiveness, to make atonement for God's people. But you could not go in without blood. Blood was the admission price to come in and to ask for forgiveness. Blood is what is needed to have atonement. And so the priests had to go in every year again and again with the sacrifice of animals with their blood, in order to gain forgiveness for God's people. But of course, the writer of the Hebrews reminds us they had to do it again and again and again every year. Why? Well, because the blood of animals can never take away our sin. It was always just a sign 
to help us understand that you can't just say, oh, God will forgive me one day. Doesn't really matter, does it? I'm not that bad. Every year, the animals dying was a reminder, no, sin is serious and the punishment is real. And it was a sign pointing forward that one day your sins would have to be paid for by blood. But of course, when Jesus did this, he didn't use the blood of animals. He used his own blood, the blood of the Son of God. And so we're told because of this, because it was Jesus' blood, He doesn't need to keep on coming to ask for our forgiveness. That one sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross when he spilled his blood was enough to atone for all of our sins. It was enough for you and for me to be completely forgiven. Oh, but you don't know what I've done, Tom. You don't know my life. If you really could see what I'm like, you'd be shocked. Maybe. In fact, probably. But that doesn't mean that Jesus' blood doesn't cover your sin. And this is why Jesus' blood is called the blood of the eternal covenant. Did you notice that? The new deal that God has made with you and I the deal where we are forgiven for our sins, that's an eternal deal. It's an eternal covenant. It is forever. It cannot be broken. Do you see the emphasis here is on permanence, on being sure and certain that you are saved? Don't doubt it. He's the God of peace. And he's gained peace for you through the eternal blood of the covenant. But that's not all. Because through the eternal blood of the covenant, he brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. I think we're very good at understanding that our salvation is grounded in Jesus' death. I think we're a little less sure on how our salvation is actually grounded in Jesus' resurrection as well. It's just as important. If Jesus stayed dead... None of us would be forgiven. None of us would be saved. It's not just that he died, but that he rose again from the dead. And throughout the book of Hebrews, the writer, again, he makes a big deal about the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Why? Because now he lives forever. I wonder if you think about Jesus that way, that he's alive today. When you think of Jesus, do you think of Jesus in terms of the past, Jesus back then? Or maybe you think of Jesus in the future, when when he'll return, Jesus then. But do you think about Jesus being alive, 100% alive today? Because he rose from the dead and he never died again. And what the writer of the Hebrews says is because of that, he is a priest forever. Now, why does that matter? It matters because if Jesus lives forever, Jesus is able to save forever. He is always living to intercede for you, which means 
If you imagine heaven, Jesus is always there at the Father's side. And he is always pleading on your behalf. No matter what sins you've done, no matter what sins you're doing, or what sins you will do, Jesus is alive and he's there at the Father's side and he's saying, my blood has covered those sins. Isn't that amazing? That you are forgiven is as sure as Jesus being alive today because he lives to intercede for you. That's why this prayer ends with that wonderful description of Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. Isn't that a wonderful picture that we have of Jesus here? He is your great shepherd. What does a shepherd do? I'm a terrible person to ask. I have absolutely no experience in farming whatsoever. But from my kids' storybook Bible experience, I kind of have an idea of what shepherds do. Shepherds care for you. Shepherds watch over you. Shepherds provide for you. Shepherds lead you. Shepherds never leave you. That's the picture we had, wasn't it, from the John reading? This good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He is the shepherd who is with you forever. Now, I said at the start, what I hope is that all of us will pray this prayer. And if you want to pray, the first thing that you need to understand is who you're praying to. You're praying to that great shepherd of the sheep who cares for you so much, who loves you so much and who is with you, and that cannot be taken away. Uh, I think I'm getting old. I know I don't look it. I know I look 12. <laughs> but I'm not. I'm, I, I am getting old. And the way that I know that I'm getting old is we're moving back to Australia. I don't ever want to move again. That is it. I'm done. I'm ready to die wherever we end up. That's, that's it. You can bury me there. In the past 13 years, I've lived in seven different houses in two different countries. I don't know. Maybe that doesn't seem like much to you. It's a lot to me. So when we move back to Australia, that's it. That's where we are going to be. Maybe. God willing. Who knows? God's probably got something else in store for us. But that's what I would like anyway. And I think the reason why I want this is because I've heard when you get older... Uh, you start to crave a bit of stability, don't you? You know, you want security. You want that bit of permanence. You want to know that the ground that you're standing on isn't just going to fall away. Of course, that's an illusion in this world. But that's what God has done for us in Jesus. He's permanently brought you peace. There's nothing that can remove it. As Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so, friends, this is our motivation to pray. I think, for me, you tell me what you think after the service, but for me, I stop praying when I feel like 
God is distant from me or God doesn't want anything to do with me. When I feel distant from God, that's when I stop praying to him. When I, when I feel like I've messed up or, or I'm, I'm not really on at the moment as a Christian, I'm not really into things and I feel like, oh, God probably doesn't care much about me at the moment. And so, and so I stop praying. I think at that moment we need to remember who God is and what he's done for us. He's the God of peace. He longs to make peace with his people. He's the God who established an eternal covenant with you through the blood of Jesus. He's the God who has risen Jesus from the dead and so he now stands there at the Father's side and intercedes for you. And he's the great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus is. This is what motivates us to come to God in prayer. So that's the first thing I want us to see, what God has done for us. I hope that encourages you to come to him in prayer. But if that doesn't, well, no, I hope that does. But in addition to that, the other reason why we pray this prayer is because of what God is doing in us. Have a look at verse 21. He prays that the God of peace will equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. See, what we're praying about is not just what God has done for us, but what God is doing in us today. I think there are two mistakes that we tend to make as Christians. The first is to forget what I've just talked about. We forget that when we trust in Jesus, we have peace with God. That there's absolutely nothing that can take it away. It's so easy to forget that, isn't it? So easy to fall back into thinking, God must hate me, or I can't be forgiven, or oh, I still have to do something to make it up to God before I'm, I'm back on, on the right track with him. So easy to fall into that track. Even when we know the gospel for decades and decades, we can still easily forget that. That's the first mistake. The second mistake, though, is almost the opposite. The second mistake is when we know that we're forgiven, and so we stop caring about what God is doing in our lives now. We think, well, it doesn't matter. I'm forgiven. I can just do whatever I want. Now, that's the cheap grace mistake, to think that it doesn't matter how we live our lives. It's completely wrong because God saved you for a purpose. He rescued you out of sin, not so that you just go back into sin. He rescued you out of sin so that you would now live for him. You know, th think of Israelites in the desert. Oh, sorry, in Egypt. Okay, they're saved out of slavery into Egypt. God does all the, the big ten plagues. He leads them through the Red Sea, and the Red Sea opens up, and they go through, and they cr comes crashing down on the pharaohs, and they're out on the other side. They're finally they're free. And often in Sunday school, that's where we end the story. But what are they free for? What are they going to do now? They just wander around the desert, find a place to live. No. They've been freed so that they now live for God. So what does God do? He gives them the Ten Commandments because he wants to show them how to live his way. See, we're free. We have peace with God, but it's for a purpose. It's to now live his way. It's to be equipped with everything good for doing his will. It's to please him. That's why we're saved. And so that's the next part of the prayer that God would equip us with everything good. I want to stop there and just get you to think about your life right now. Are you just coasting along in your walk with God? 
Have you sort of slipped into the thinking that, well, I'm saved, I know. I know it's going to be all right in the end, so I guess it doesn't really matter what I do now. And you've just slipped into sinful habits or you've stopped caring about what God thinks. You've stopped really living to please him, more interested in pleasing others. Or you're just devoting your life to something else. You're more passionate about something else now than God. It's it's very easy for us to do this. And you've forgotten that all the things we've just talked about was for a purpose. It was for you to do good for God now, for his will, to please him. And if that's you, or for all of us, this is why we have the next part of the prayer. But before you feel overwhelmed and you think, yeah, you're right, I've messed up, I'm no good, I want you to notice that in this prayer, it's not about what you do, it's about what God does in you. Did you see that? It's God who equips you with everything good for doing his will. And it's him who is at work in us to do what's pleasing to him. See, that's how it works when you put your trust in Jesus. You don't put your trust in Jesus and then he sort of meets you, says, great, glad you're on the team, Um, good luck with it, and then just sort of go. No, when you trust in Jesus, the Father and the Son's Spirit comes to take up residence inside of you. His spirit gets to work on day one to make you more like Jesus so that you will start to do God's will and please him. And this is always how the Bible talks about obedience. So take Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for... It is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do you see? Both are true. You are called to obey God, but God is 100% there working in you. It's not passive. It's not that, oh, well, God's going to work in me, so I'll just sit and wait for him to, to do his thing. No, he calls you to actively obey him. But it's not just down to us. God is at work in us. He is growing us. Uh, Since I'm leaving, I thought I might as well tell you something about myself that I've kept hidden for too long. Um, I told my church this back in Sydney, and uh, and then I left. Um, for (laughs) For a long time, I've actually had a voice inside my head. Don't worry, it's not that bad. Uh, But uh, the voice uh, is there in my head and it it just every so often says quietly and confidently, Tom, you're awesome. Um, It's just sort of a regular regular voice that that, that goes on in my head every now and then. I've got to say, in a lot of ways, it served me really well. Um, There's nothing like unquenchable confidence to sort of get you ahead in life. It's it's quite good. Um, My wife doesn't love it. I have to say, she, uh, she finds it particularly annoying. If she's trying to point out something I've done wrong, uh, I will latch on to the one positive thing she said and sort of go away thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm doing pretty well, actually, and uh, that wasn't her point. Uh, but, but, but I have this voice. I have this voice that just continually says, Tom, you're awesome, Tom, you're awesome. Don't worry about what anyone else says. You're doing great. 
Um, but I have to say, since coming to England, that voice has really died down quite a lot. Uh, not, not because of England itself. It's not like people have been putting me down so much that I've changed. You're all far too polite for that. No, it's, it's really just because these last three years have been full on. They've <laughs> been, as a lot of you know, um, uh, you know it's, it's tough living overseas. Uh, doing a PhD is hard. I felt very out of my depth and I feel like I have no idea what I'm doing and trying to just muddle my way through. Uh, COVID obviously didn't make things easier. And I'm sure for a lot of you, you've probably felt the same. That these last few years have been really, really hard. Um, and I've just found it a genuinely humbling experience. I, I, I genuinely, these last three years have, have brought me low, but in a good way, I think. I've been humbled. And I think, I think God needed to do that because he needs to teach me and still needs to teach me that I just I cannot do things on my own. I need God. It's not as though I just need God when I'm in trouble, some sort of helper, you know, kind of an 80-20, 80% me, 20% God when I really need him sort of thing. Um, it's not even a 50-50. It's 100% me and it's 100% God. I need him if I want to do his will and if I want to please him. I need him to be at work in me. And so just like knowing what God has done for us motivates us to pray, so too does knowing what God is doing in us motivate us to pray. I need to pray because I need God. I need his help. I can't do it on my own. And I'm slowly learning that as I bang that voice out of my head. So like the writer to the Hebrews, I want to pray for myself and I want to pray for you that God would equip us with everything good for doing his will and that he would work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. Now, let me just finish by saying I love how this book ends not only because he describes this letter as a brief exhortation, that's a preacher's dream right there, because I feel there's biblical warrant right now for me to go as long as I want and as complex and deep as I want. Um, no, the reason I love the end of this uh, letter is because it's all about Christians in fellowship with each other from across the seas. I just thought, what a lovely way for me to finish this sermon. How about verse 23? I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and all the Lord's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. Grace be with you all. It's a wonderful picture of the fellowship that people have in the gospel. See, the concern, Timothy's far away, he's imprisoned, but clearly they care about what's going on with him. They're they're, likely praying for him regularly, and they're eager to find out he's been released. There's ongoing contact. Timothy wants to... Timothy and uh, and the writer is going to visit soon. Hopefully. There's communion. Even when they are far away, there is greetings that are sent to one another. Greetings in the Lord. There's a fellowship here. Now, friends, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but this church is, has quite a special role that not many churches have. It has a wonderful growing tradition 
not only of doing amazing gospel work within this community, but also of loving and encouraging people who are then sent to do gospel work across the world. Whether it's curates who have been trained here, or missionaries that we support, or even PhD students like myself who will then go on to serve the church elsewhere. I really want to encourage you in that role. As you see the fellowship that we have in the gospel, it's such an important role that you have. And so how do we do this? Well, the first thing that we can do is pray. This is a wonderful prayer for us to keep praying with each other and for each other. As a church, pray this prayer. Please pray this for myself and and Jess and the family. And we want to keep praying this prayer for you as well. So let me lead us in praying this prayer together. I'll just pray. You don't have to pray along. Let's, Let's pray. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.